Ah, but yeah, this is the Black Country Blokes, Shuna Fat, here with me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cadman, and our special guests are Josh and Lee. So guys, thank you ever so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. And we're going we're gonna to be talking about domestic abuse as well as many other topics, but as we were saying, domestic abuse has got many forms, and we're going to talk about male domestic abuse. Because it's, um, with our brothers and sisters, the Black Country Women's Aid, doing their part with us. As Mark, is it? Yeah, as Mark. And that's going to be coming up soon. They're going to be coming on the show. And it's something that people in the know have known about forever. That uh, domestic abuse happens to everyone. And what we're trying to say, it doesn't matter what sexuality you are, a victim is a victim. So we're going to get into that in a bit. Well, first of all, what we're going to do, is, as we do every week, is start by, like we do our support group every week at the Lions Boxing Club. How's your week? What things are we grateful for this week? Me, um, what did I, oh, I can't remember what I did on the weekend? Oh, we had bonfire night, and it's uh, we have a Dylan bonfire every year, and we have all the gang there, and all my old friends. Now most of us have had kids, and it's lovely watching how we've all grown up and still been friends. My daughter, my wife was playing, and my wife wasn't playing; she was shouting at me. But uh, but having a fire, and it is because we didn't have last year, and it's wonderful just being around people in the flesh, enjoying ourselves. Lee, what are you grateful for this week, bruv? I came to your bonfire, Kev, and we had a really good time. I'm grateful for that. But really, I think I'm grateful for friends because that, on that night, uh, your daughter Jasmine came up to my, my youngest, Kala, and, and introduced her, I think it was to her cousin, saying, uh, oh, this is my really good friend, Kala. Mm. And no one's ever done that before. So just, just my youngest daughter's got a life-limiting disability. She's in a wheelchair and she... She's seven, but has a mental age of like an eighteen-month-year-old, and it actually made my wife and your your old man Bob <laughs> cry. Yeah. Um, so I'm thankful for for friends this week. That's lovely. Overly, <laughs> I think it's going with that sort of bonfire theme because obviously not being able to do it last year was kind of the same as you guys. Um, yeah, we got a few of us together to go and stand on the opposite side of the river and in the field that we always used to go to anyway mm. and watch the fireworks and getting all the kids together and watching the kids run around and playing again is it's just been great it's been really good to to watch and it's been nice for me being able to get out to do it again because i'm I've literally just coming off the back of having uh, pneumonia so you know getting my health back as well i'm really grateful for and being back out and about doing stuff again and in that, like what you said, getting your health back, and I was talking to someone yesterday at the club, you forget how poorly you have been, don't you? You feel, blooming neck, I feel vile, and you almost forget how it is to be well. And uh, yeah, and health is something that we should be grateful for. You know, when you wake up and you're feeling robust and overall good. Josh, how about you, bruv? Actually, I'm quite thankful for friendship in the sense of... Well, the ragamuffins that are Lee and Amy, say my fellow colleagues at Break the Silence UK, being able to do something with people that I adore and we are on the same page with everything, as well as being able to do something that can actually change the face of something that we're passionate about, has been genuinely phenomenal because, um, well, in my experience of, uh, say, like being a man in the sector, which is, say, again, very like, female dominated, which again, not a problem so always used to being the only bloke in the office um but to have that genuine support from them both has been genuinely phenomenal and um 
the great things are going to happen and I just can't wait. It's going to be great. As you say, friendship, support, they both go hand in hand, don't mm. they? Love, friendship, kindness. And, I mean, we, I'm so lucky to be a part of the Lions Boxing Club where a community... Back in the day, we had our community, didn't we? Where you knew your next door neighbour and you'd check on Dot over the road and somehow we've lost that sense of community. Not being the black country or Warleaf or wherever you're from, mm -hmm. but having that, that them, our tribe that would just to look out for you. And we often say, nowadays, I'll send you a message, I'll send you a WhatsApp. Or, there was nothing like knocking on the door and going, I knew you were struggling, so I thought pop around and put the kettle on. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think you've seen that a bit more recently, haven't you? With 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 everything everyone's been through, with with like the whole pandemic and everything. I, I I've been to my neighbours um, when I've known they've not been very well or they couldn't get out because they were older and go and do a little bit of shopping for them. And you know it, it was really really nice because we had to go through our house and it wasn't that long ago. Uh, and getting that knock on the door and you're thinking, hang on a minute, who's that? Because I, I can't answer the door. Mm. And you open the door and one of your neighbours is stood there saying, look, we knew you weren't very well. We've been out and got you a few bits and pieces to keep you going. Well, it was great that, I mean, COVID came along and it did, it, it, it ignited that community spirit, didn't it, a lot mm. more. And I think mm. it was because we were all in the same boat. Unless unless you worked for certain people, you had to stop at home. So you were all in the same boat and you were all pulling the same way, weren't you? Well, on that first evening when we'd be all, all out clapping the NHS, and I've lived in that house for 10 years, and I was going, so that's who lives in number seven. <laughs> and, you know, they'd have kids and they'd be out knocking the, the frying pan or whistling. And you go, how are you? How's the baby? If you need it, or an, an old dear or old gentleman, if you need anything, come and knock on the door. And it it felt like when I was a child, when you do that for Mrs Ludlow who lived over the road. But unfortunately, it, it didn't seem to last that long, did he? Mm. The coin world didn't last that long. So maybe that's our duty to keep it going you know instead of just putting your thumb up to number seven just going we haven't seen each other in a while how are you mm. you know what i mean yeah. and actually wait for the answers again how are you see you later <laughs> the, the very British way. I'll ask you, but I don't really give a monkey's <laughs> there you are. Well, that's right, though, Kev, but you, you give the same answer as well, don't you? So, yeah. you know, how many people actually turn around and tell, when someone does ask that, tells the person how they are, they'll mm. just do the off-the-cuff, oh, I'm good. You know, you, mm. don't, you, don't, you don't go into detail about it, do you? And what, what I find is sometimes a stranger is easier to talk to than your old best mate. And I found out when I was off travelling... You'd be leaning there, like the old, you know, in the, the movies when you talk to the barman. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm up. I'm, I'm like, uh, it's in cheers. How are you doing, Norm? Like, God's run over my dog. And stuff like that. But you talk to that person because you don't really give a monkeys if he doesn't like what you say. So sometimes, boy, how are, how are you, number seven? Well, actually, I'm not very well. That person who you don't really care about what they say might be your... your first step to getting better if that makes sense that makes sense people mm, yeah yeah it does it does and but we we often don't want to open up but sometimes you know be a bit brave and if he does think you're a bit of a weirdo who really gives a monkey what he says but that one person by you opening up just that little bit might encourage you to open up a lot the next time mm. have you found that guys like sometimes you know when you're on holiday you open up to someone and you think oh i actually feel a bit better now yeah, so um, that's happened a few times. I've met some lovely people, whether it's been on like work courses um, where we sort of 
understand each other's uh, working environment, which has been really nice because trying to explain that to like, well, a civvy in that sense, a person who's like not in that sector and doesn't really comprehend caseloads, stress, KPIs, all these different things. It's really nice to be able to actively speak to someone about that. And um, as well as having friends on the outside, like um, me and my, me and my bestie, um, we have completely different jobs. She's um, quite high up in hers, respect. Um, not, I've not a full idea of what she does and same here, but that doesn't mean we can't talk shop and actually say like, all oh, right, okay, well, this is affecting me at work and this is how I'd like to, you know, sound off about it or all these different things. So that works out quite well. We, we quite often say everybody needs a Josh. <laughs> quite literally, I was one of those people. People used to say to me, how are you? I'm fine. Mm. Even if I wasn't, uh, you know, recently I've had a few conversations with people where as professionals, people have said, you know, really share your feelings because that's making a difference with people. Mm. Uh, I was involved in a conversation literally last week where people were talking about bottling up that emotion and one of the other professionals said, you know what, sometimes I struggle. But as a man, I don't let that out. I'll go and sit alone in my car and I'll cry. And I said, I'm the same. But with Josh, when we first started working together, he used to say, how are you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, no, no, how, how are you really? Mm. And it's kind of that moment where you, all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, hang on, someone can see through the outer layer. <laughs> he sees um, through the veneer. Um, and yeah. I, I need to come up with an answer here. But that's changed my whole perspective mm. on things because now I notice with people, even on my own street, that if they're looking at me, if, if they're looking at go, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. And you kind of think, mm. you're not, are you? What's, mm. what's, what's going on, mate? Mm. And then you start getting those conversations going because, you know, for once, it generally feels as though someone's interested. It's, it's quite mad, isn't it? We was talking about this yesterday and, and, and we, we had our support group last night and we had a new gentleman in. Um, and, with it, and I was talking to him about it and he, he found it hard to open up to anyone. But then he came into to two strangers and was was fine with it. But I found that with myself, like I don't open up to my wife. I, I never have done. I've never really opened up to anyone in my immediate family. But then I'll come on a podcast or a radio show with I don't even know how many listeners we get now, and and quite happily talk about it all. Mm. It's it's quite weird how your brain works that way, isn't it, and how it computes. But it's it's that bit of intimacy or making myself to be like a plonker. Like if I get onto a karaoke and I start singing <laughs> Jolene by Dolly Parton, I yes. put myself on there to be a laugh. It's Kev mm. Dillon from the Lions. He's having it. But the first time we started doing this and I was open with my problem, my disability, my anxiety, my pr you're thinking, oh, how about if them bullies come back out? How about from fighting? How about if my wife leaves me? How about and it's quite the opposite. You know what I mean? Once you start being open and vulnerable, it's amazing how much love you get back. And there's always going to be idiots. Mm. Well, do we really want the idiots in our life? Do Are we going to allow the idiots to dictate the rest of my life? And I think that's been one of the greatest things for me. And more open we have become. And I'll be at the boxing club and we'll have people from the travelling community or the Muslim community or the English community. And I go, you have them panic attacks, don't you? Or you, you. And I go, yeah, and I go, don't tell anyone, but me too. And I think once you realise you are not the only one, you're not a, an alien from outer space mm -hmm. who has emotions, 
you have this massive relief off you and going, wow. And that's what we'll talk about in a bit with domestic abuse, mm-hmm. like from emotional abuse, physical abuse, all these things that happen to us, we feel like we are the only one. And when we feel like that, guilt comes in and shame comes in. And I say the best friend of any mental health is loneliness. Mm. When you feel like you are the, the only one that has ever been treated like this, and you're too ashamed to talk about it, that's when bad things happen. But when you do reach out, and what do we say, Lee? It takes courage to ask for help, then it takes courage to accept the help. But that's when change can happen, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, exactly. Change can happen in so many different ways. And being able to embrace change and embrace your emotions is incredibly empowering to do that. Because once that veneer is sort of cracked and you can sort of understand, oh, actually this person understands me a little bit, or Mm. oh, actually that wasn't as hard as I thought it was because your own enemy is yourself, your anxiety, depression, any mental health issues that you say may or may not have. It's that insulated loneliness Mm. that can really make things significantly worse when they don't need to be because you know we get a lot of people said oh you know reach out reach out but they don't create that safe environment mm. and wonder why people aren't reaching out it's like well because they expect jack the lad you know who's giving it large down the pub mm. that's not really the best way to approach it or you know they may perceive if you're trying to be sensitive to like their issue they might think you're taking the mick. Mm. But again, it's just opening that dialogue or at least making that space safe for those things to be having. You know, open up about something yourself. Um, try and steer the conversation towards, so well, say, towards more emotive topics. It's, it's, well, it's definitely worth it. And it can really broaden the friendships that you have and make those incredibly deep connections that are incredibly nourishing to you as a whole i think we sorry kev i think we also forget how how good it it feels after you've opened up completely you know you you with men especially they're holding on to all this baggage this backpack on their back for sometimes years on an end and to be able to stop have someone listen to you and the, the key thing is there is listening you don't have to give advice. I think people get that confused. I think they've got to mm. solve that problem. When No, you've just got yeah. to listen. You've just got to be there to listen. And, and to be able to have someone in front of you listening, you're emptying that backpack that's been weighing you down for years. It feels great at the end of it. You will feel better about doing it. And I think sometimes when people have come to me and said, oh, they sexual trauma or abuse or whatever it is, and they always say, don't treat me different after I say it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't repeat what I actually say something because it's a bit vulgar. But, but it's basically, don't be a plonker. I'm going to treat you the same as I always have. What you tell me now isn't going to change my opinion of you. That won't define who you are from this yes. moment. You will still be Kevin Dillon after this conversation. But mm-hmm. thank you for telling it me. Yeah. I, I think that's where it comes in thinking, are you going to think less of me for this and that that itself has been so petrifying because we've got a relationship here mm. i'm dying to tell someone but are you still going to be my friend afterwards exactly nobody wants the pity party mm. um 
well, I say back at when, when I was uh, doing my third year of university, I was diagnosed with um, cancer in my neck. And I didn't, for other than my best friend, a few of my tutors and the few members of my family knew about that. And I didn't tell anyone until after I got the all clear or at least it had been a good while, like on Facebook, because I didn't want to be part of the pity party. Mm. Or, you know, all of a sudden people out of the woodwork start going, oh, how are you? And you don't want to keep repeating mm. the same thing over and over again. But whether it's, you know, something emotional, something traumatic, if you've got those core people, mm. you know, you're winning in that sense because you've got that support. You don't have to validate yourself to others. You don't have to put on the performance and they say, oh, look how strong he is because he's doing this. Mm. It's like, actually, I'm just going to the shop to get some milk, you know. I'm not I've called done it I, all I'm shattered. Yeah. Like, there's, there's not going to be, you're not, well, I wasn't going to like give the full extent of like the effects of all the drugs I was on and everything to, to get me well and all the traveling back from say like Preston to Lincoln and all this sort of stuff. It just felt like that wasn't because, because well, in university, anyway, you go through a lot and you learn about yourself and everyone has their own journey and you've got you know you've got the people you live with your friends around you and stuff but they've got their own stuff too and it's also that feeling of you not wanting to put additional baggage onto someone else that's just quite an important point as well isn't mm. it? as something we talk a lot to people about is having that fear of not putting your baggage onto someone else mm. you know i've had many conversations me myself I, i've been guilty of it that you know i don't want to there might have been stuff that bothered me in the day and you've got the stresses of the day and all these other things and you get to that point in the evening where a lot of people did sort of describe it is is you go into your man box where there's there's nothing and you mm. just you, you're silent and you're just you're not focusing on anything you're just you're just letting yourself be it's letting your mind just shut down a little bit the problem with that is and not sharing some of those things that are bothering you is you might be able to shut that off for a little bit but it's still there the next day and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up and how far do you let it build up before things get just too much? Well, I, I find that with blokes and I was like this myself, you, you, you know, we drink to excess. We have like 10 points or a couple of bags of whatever people are on, be it weed, cocaine, whatever. And then you're, you're giving your way a chance to talk. Mm. And the next day they go, well, you're off, um, you, you come out with some deep stuff last night and you go, I was off my nuts, I don't know what I was saying, you know, don't pay. But yeah. what we're actually doing is we're trying to talk without being judged. Yeah. And I think that's why it's such a massive drug thing at the moment because people are trying their best to talk without the fear of being, you know, you're coming back yeah. on them. So it's sort of that safety net of that, safety of, say, of, of like whatever that substance is mm. or like social lubricant mm. as they sort of like, like to put across, like, oh, well, you know, I only dabble in a bit of this mm. because of X, Y, Z or, oh, actually it just helps me unwind and I can mm. offload a few things, but I can play it off as, oh yeah, no, I was just off me nut. Oh, you know, I don't know what I was saying. Oh, that was a different batch of what I had last time. Yeah. Didn't know what, didn't know what to expect, but that level of behavior and sort of coping mechanism understanding that that isn't healthy in the long run mm. again no judgment because everyone has their form whether it be food alcohol 
sugar, mm. you know, porn as well. Yeah. Um, there are so many different things that can affect everybody, but sort of breaking free from that, say, again, like substance or habit, can be incredibly daunting because that's something you've always used mm. to suddenly think, oh, I can actually put the key in the box, unlock it a little bit, let a little bit seep out, mm. and then just lock it straight back up again. And I think that's where it can become dangerous, isn't it? as you say, with any habit. Completely. And I think with the drinking habit, mm. it, 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 it's normal, especially where I was brought up. The elders went to the pub, and I think in, when I was a kid, we were in the pub at 15. And my parents found me more safe being in the pub drinking than I was on the park drinking because you learnt a certain etiquette mm. of being in the pub. If you're banned, well, all my friends go there and you'd have like your dad's age, my big brother's age, and people would keep their eye on you and you learnt how to be around elders. Mm. Whereas the younger generation haven't got that now. Mm. You don't see it and they, they haven't learned them certain social cues. But the downside of it was... You'd see the characters of the pub who were absolutely smashed seven days a week and it become normal. Mm. You know, it was normal to be a drunk and it was normal. You go, well, hasn't Jeff got kids? Yeah, well, he's in here every night. Yeah. And, and you'd hear about he, uh, Jeff, let's call him Jeff, wife would phone up and go, oh, Jeff's wife's all right, misery guts. She phones up every night. You're going, well, he's here every night instead mm. of being at home with a wife and kids. Yeah. But at that time, you thought Jeff was the funniest person in the room. Yeah. And it, it kind of changes how we look at drinkers. Until you get older and maybe a daddy yourself, you're thinking, blow neck. You yeah, see it that, different with age, don't you? Well, see, so yeah, there's the potential for that glorification of that because like, af like after a certain age, you stop boasting about how much um, drink you can hold, mm. all that sort of stuff. Um so yeah, the potential glorification of that can be quite damaging, and you are right. Sort of, once you do have a child yourself, or you do become a bit older, mm. it's suddenly okay. He was here every night. Why? Mm. Yeah, that's the big thing, isn't it? Mm. I, I, yeah, I've, I've I've worked in a lot of fields, and one of the one of the big areas I worked in was substance misuse, um, and did. And I'm going to say it was a privilege because it was a privilege to work in a rehab where you know I was working in a house with. 16 men who'd all come to rehab and you know we had a mixture we had quite a few with a few of the blokes there that had kids and you know the situation we we're just talking about with being at the pub every night um that was the reality for some of those blokes and when you get sitting and talking to them and and you start to unpick where how, how they got to where they were one of the biggest things all of them would say is i feel really guilty for not being there for my children but when you look at some of the trauma that they've had within their life, some of them from childhood, some from later on, some of them, you know, with, with my experience of certainly working in domestic abuse, that we're talking about their relationships and the way things were at home with, with their partner. So they avoided that. They'd go to the pub, they'd have a skinful every night, they'd go home because after having a skinful, they knew they were going to get laid into when they got home. Mm -hmm. But, you know, after eight, nine, ten pints or whatever it was they were drinking, they didn't quite feel it as much. Mm. And we had a black country women say it on the other day, and we we're talking about domestic abuse. And me, once again, being ignorant to it, but ignorance is only bad if you don't learn from it. And I, I love this show because I'm always learning. But I always thought domestic abuse, 
man or woman, like husband and wife, wife and husband. Um, but then when they're explaining to me, going, well, no, domestic abuse is people who, it could be your parent, you, you're picking on your parents, or your parents are picking on you, or your brother's picking on, or you're picking on your child, and I thought, so domestic abuse isn't just you and your partner. And that opened my eyes up, and I was thinking, once again, that domestic abuse of, you've always seen mom or dad or nan and granddad or big brother or sister doing this. And you only know if you've been taught it mm -hmm. and whether it's a good lesson or whether it's a bad lesson. Monkey see, monkey do. Mm. I mean, Lee, anything you want to say? Because you worked in a pub, didn't you? For your own pubs, room pubs. Well, yeah, you know, and you're all right, really. I don't know what to say. You know, you did, you did have people come in, uh, you know, they'd be in at five and they wouldn't leave till closing and you'd be kicking them out. Um, and at the time I was, I was running pubs, to be, to be quite honest, I didn't, I didn't take no notice of the reason why I think is the right thing. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. really think about it. You know, I just wanted to make the pub at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. um, but you could, I think, when I think about it now, thinking back on it, there was definitely instances where those people didn't want to go home um, for whatever reason why I wasn't in their houses. But if it, it, even if it's not... A physically abusive relationship you know they're not laying hands on each other as such the the mental torture that you can put or people can put each other through can far outweigh the physical side of it and so they might not turn up with bruises and they you might it might not be a visible thing but it could be just something that can be controlling um, and messing with people's minds well that's what, when we think of abuse we think of sexual and physical trauma but there's so many different, um, so many shrinks to the bow, isn't there? I mean, do you want to go into that, George? Yes, completely. There is a psychological abuse, emotional abuse, and so, so basically playing on your emotions, especially uh, we're seeing a rise of kids being used um, say as leverage, sort of like, oh, well, you know, if you leave, you'll never see the kids again, mm -hmm. I'll take you to court, all these sorts of things. Psychological abuse, especially if they know that person inside out and they slowly start chipping away at their confidence, mm. chipping away at their ability to do their job, chipping away at their ability to do their father, so it's more say to um, be a father, um, the way they perform in bed, all of these different small, small things, which over a period of days, weeks, months, years, decades, could lead someone to believe that they are completely worthless and they are not a, val say, a valid human being. Um, you know, they don't contribute enough, they don't do this, they don't do that, um, they don't engage with the family enough, they don't make enough money. All these say, little, little things can really make someone feel lowest of the low. And I wouldn't be surprised, especially with the um, statistics of, you know, of 84 men a week, of how many men within that 84 are affected at least by some part of either emotional, say psychological or um, coercive controlling behaviour. 84 a week? I say it's 84 men a week, isn't it? Who are abused in domestic abuse? I'll say no, that, um, so that's a overall statistic of 84 men a week who commit suicide. Oh, commit suicide. Yes. Well, we had um, Dave Stocks on last week, didn't we? He works in uh, suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. And he said, what was it, Lee? 75% of the suicides aren't registered or aren't 
Disclosed, what was he? Um, yeah, so he works for Black Country NHS, and, and uh, the statistic was that 75% were unknown to um, the NHS. Yeah. 75% suicide. I think it was suicide attempts. But either, and every statistic is just, we're lucky if everyone's been honest. Yes. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like, have you ever felt suicidal? Oh, no, I'm all right. Yeah. But, and it's, Statistics are only good if everyone's being honest. So, yeah. I, you know, and with suicides, how many people accidentally fell off the ladder or he just stepped in front of a car or he didn't take, he took too much insulin or he drained. So we, we'll never know the absolute truth of it, will we? I've said before, sorry, sorry, I've, I've said before, didn't I, Kev? The, we were doing um, stats on the cost of mental health to companies. And again, that is you only know you, you'll never get that true figure because there's not many people who are going to phone up their company that they work for and go, "Well, I'm going to have a day off today because I'm feeling depressed." Now you might phone up and go, and you might be feeling depressed, but and phone up and go, "Well, actually, I've been up all night being sick." Mm. You know, how many people are actually going to phone up and give the real reason why they're why they're off? And because many, of the stigma around mental health. Well, Emily Gaffers, if you phoned up and said, look, um, oh, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a rut. Ah, uh, pull yourself together, blooming heck. Do you want mm -hmm. the money or not? Because that stigma is still there, isn't it? If you go, my arthritis is playing up, or me, um, uh, the gout, oh, I've got the gout in my foot. Oh, you know, get yourself right, get yourself to the GP. But if you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a wobble. Mm -hmm. Well, get your coat on, I'm outside. It's still different at the moment, isn't it? So you're going to say over the, over the last six months, you know, and these are just people that I know of myself. Um, I, I know quite a few people that have actually phoned in and said, you know what, my mental health is, is, is shot at the moment. I need to take a few days for me. Otherwise, you know, I, I think this could get worse. The interesting thing is all of those people were female. Now, I know from some conversation that I've been having, having with blokes who have said to us, you know, my mental health is in a really, really bad place at the moment. Mm -hmm. Take some time for you because you're more important. That's one of our big things that we say as a team. Exactly. You can't give do. from an empty cup. No. And if you don't take those days, you know, it's only going to get worse, isn't it? And the response you get from a lot of people is, well, what's my boss going to say if I phone up and say, do you know what, I'm feeling a bit depressed? Get into work, have a laugh, get on with it. Mm. It's a it's a sad state of affairs, really, that we don't we don't have the confidence to phone up when we are ill, um, and 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 do that without feeling like you're going to be ridiculed killed about it. You know, it's but it is improving as well. I will say it is improving. You know, um, there's a lot more people, a lot more companies now getting on board with the mental health first aid, which hopefully is the first step into more people understanding. Um, that people do get do get ill and they can't get out of bed, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, it's a we're definitely going in the right direction. And it's got to be less of a, a box ticking exercise mm -hmm. and actual. I care, you know. As what we were saying, like, and the beautiful thing about seeing people is, as you said, you see your neighbour and you go, "Are you okay?" You see your shoulders slumped and all the matter tears, and you go, "No, I could see you not." On a on a telephone, on an email. We can hide it, can't we? Yeah. But as human beings, uh, you can feel that person's aura, or you, you, mm -hmm. you just sense that we need to have a chat. So hopefully if we can get the uh, mental health first aiders on site, 
they might just give you that nudge to get your help. But on about help, would you want to tell us about what your company is? You did mention it earlier, but tell us what your company is and the wonderful things that you're doing. God, where do we start? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably easy to, easier to go back to where it all sort of kicked off from. Um, you know, both myself and Josh used to work um, within the domestic abuse field. Josh is... Josh is sort of our guru on everything. He's he's an into. He's I'm a, not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the person I go to if I'm not sure on something myself. Um, you know, he's he's a qualified independent domestic violence advisor, and you know, up until recently, having a man holding that role mm. was few and far between. There are more and more being trained now, but it, you know, he was a limited commodity. I have. Um, scared the bejesus out of a fair few um, social workers because what do you mean you spoke to a man and then you know they'd ring the company I was working for and be like oh yeah no he's one of ours and then the worker would ring through and say oh did I pass your test yeah. <laughs> so yeah it did yeah. startle quite a few people yeah, yeah. But, it, but it was good because we our, our sort of careers followed a similar path mm. and for certain organisations that I worked for when I left Josh came into the role after me yeah so, you know, we'd followed a path for so many years before we actually met. Now, we were both working for the same substance misuse organisation at the time um, in different projects. And I'd watched the um, Alex Skeel documentary, The Abuse by My Girlfriend, um, that the BBC did. And when I was watching that, I was watching it with my wife and I got quite upset because to me, it was just showing that a lot of things hadn't changed. And I was like, this can't go on. And she said, well, what are you going to do about it? And that's the first time anyone had ever said to me, what are you going to do about it? And I thought, well, actually, there are things that I can do about it. So I started writing and literally everything that I carried in here that I knew about domestic abuse or the tactics or the behaviours and everything else. I, I, I just started writing it down. And within a month, I, I, I kind of sat there looking and I, I had a book. There was enough stuff there for a book. So I took it to Josh and said, mate, do you want to have a quick look at this and let me know what you think? Um, and it was quite quite startling because you came back after the weekend didn't you yeah. said, when I started I can put it down um, and he said that the, the thing that was beautiful about it was it was unapologetically you you didn't use big words you didn't use big description I could imagine you saying it so it was just written how you would say it what's the name of that book uh, it's break the silence a support guide for male victims of domestic abuse now originally we put it on Amazon um, and our plan was you know one copy sold, that's one person help, job done. Uh, within the first month, we sold about 100 copies. And it was like, wow, um, this, this is bigger than we thought. So we had it on there for about a year where we expanded what we were doing. And last year, um, we were picked up by Austin McCauley Publishers down in London. Um, and they gave us a publishing deal for it. So as of the end of this month, on the 30th of November, it's going to be in mainstream bookstores. Brilliant, well done. Um, you know, we, we've got people that have contacted us just this week from America, from Canada, from yeah. Africa, from Australia, yeah, yeah. as well as in the UK. Um, you know, from, from all sorts of different faiths, backgrounds, communities that have pre-ordered the book. And it's just like, it shows that it's on such a, a massive scale. We were joking on the way over here tonight saying, you know, our company's called Break the Silence UK. But based on what's happened this week, do we need to rebrand this Break the Silence International? Because it seems we're reaching out to men right across the world. Mm. Well, it, we had someone on here, um, Louise from uh, Willow Daisies, Dirty Willows. But she was on about this, and it, it annoys her when it's, well, this doesn't happen in our community. 
well, this doesn't happen in uh, Fresh Prince of Air. Well, this doesn't happen in the white community, the black community. Abuse happens in every community with all sexes, doesn't it? Exactly. Abuse, so domestic abuse does not care who you are, your race, your class, your sexual say, preference, you say your gender identity, none of it. Everybody is at risk. And it is incredibly important to understand individual dynamics within that. For example, my specialities are within LGBTQIA uh, victims as well as male victims. And being able to put these differences forward and at least make our voices heard within this because the statistics are horrendous and the amount of LGBTQIA that I say are young and in abusive relationships and feel that this is, you know, to be expected or um, say elder um, LGBTQ people that have been in this dynamic for again decades because oh we, you know we've gone through all of this together we love each other it's like okay love so, you know love is important but you need more than that yeah. and the way that person is treating you and the way you feel in your everyday life it has to it has to stop in terms of what we do, you know, we, we've expanded. We, we started just with men. Mm. You know, Josh has expanded out into the LGBTQIA community. We've got Amy that works with us as well now who, you know, supports females mm -hmm. that contact us. So we went from a, a very small two-man outfit just, you know, putting out a book to having our own website to actively supporting males, females, LGBT, anyone that contacts us, we support as, as, as much as we can with no funding but we get our little pockets of money that we get from training we provide to professionals and sort of consultation mm -hmm. that we'll do to businesses as well to try and help them around sort of understanding domestic abuse because that's the big thing and especially when you're talking to men as well you know there's been figures that depend on where you go it's very different but anywhere up to 70 percent of of men don't recognize abusive behaviors in a relationship as being domestic abuse and that's 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 a shocking figure well, i could definitely say myself until we started speaking to people like black country women's aid um i wouldn't recognize some of them like they as i say my my thinking around domestic abuse was i knew it, i knew it went both ways but I always thought it was oh, it's violence. It's it's laying hands on each other basically. Mm. But it, you know when you get people like yourselves on, people like uh, Black Country Women's Aid, and they actually explain that it's a lot further than that, and it can be a lot more damaging than actual just laying hands on each other. You know, I think mm. the the psychology side of it is a lot more damaging than than actual just laying hands on each other, and that tends to be where it starts and mm -hmm. it finishes, as far as I'm aware, at at violence yeah let, let me share let me share a story with you we we, we use an awful lot and it, it just goes to show that sort of whole thing moving away from violence over there for a minute because actually in this case it was completely different so a gentleman that i worked with for a long time um, i know him very very well um he can be a bit forgetful you know and one of the things that he noticed that if he didn't put his keys in a certain place when he got home he would lose them so he bought himself a bowl uh, and he had it on the shelf inside the door and every day when he was coming home he was putting his keys in the bowl now things started taking a bit of a turn because you know he did start going out he did start going out with bands that he was working with 
um, in and around the area, even over this way. And um, it must have been desperate. <laughs> <laughs> Some good bands over there. Um, yeah, but all of a sudden it started that he was going to the bolt and they weren't there. Mm. And he stood there and he thought, I know I put them there when I got home. So then he started backtracking his steps. All the steps he took everywhere he went when he got home looking for these keys before going back to getting back to where he started thinking, oh, no, they, 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 what's going on? And there they were, the keys were there. And he was like, oh, maybe I didn't just see them. And this was going on for a while and it really got to the point that he started questioning his sanity. Mm. And he was like, do you know what? Am I losing it? it I, they're not there. What's going on? And what was really interesting uh, with this story is the one time that he was like, no, something's not right here. And he stood at the top of the stairs and looked over the banister and he was watching. And what was really interesting was that he saw his partner go and put the keys back in the bowl. Mm. He stood there and he still questioned himself, did I actually see that? Mm. Did I actually see that? And he was like, no, I did, I saw it. So he went downstairs and he walked into the lounge. He went, my keys are back in the bowl. She went, oh, okay. He went, did you put them there? She went, don't accuse me of doing things like that. I didn't touch your keys. If you're losing your keys, that's your problem. That's not mine. And he went, love, I saw you put them there. He said, I'm not angry. I just, I just want to know. So he was still defending her. And she went, well, I saw them on the sofa where you were sat down and I, I, I know, you know, you, you, you've been struggling a bit with your mental health, you know, you, you've been working hard, you've been doing this, that and the other, so I, I didn't want you to feel bad, so I put them back in the bowl. What was really, really interesting is that never happened again after that time. Mm. Been caught of a hand in a biscuit yeah. tin. And do you know what's really interesting about that story? That man was me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's only recently, through the work that we do, that I've started talking about my own experiences. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we, we worked in an industry where it was very much, it's not about you, it's about the victim. But we found working with men that sharing some of your own experiences help people to realise, hang on, this is a person that gets it. This is a person that understands. Now, I was very much like self. I, I thought domestic violence was, you know, physical you know, it, it was always a result of a hit or a kick or something like that. But I always thought when people spoke about domestic violence, it was man against woman. That was, that was my understanding. I was, I was completely blinkered. And I got asked to go and facilitate a program where they said, you know, join in with the activities because you'll learn an awful lot and then you can help with this program. And they brought out, um, a, it was a gender neutral version of the power and control wheel, wasn't mm. it? And the chap that was facilitated, he said, go through the behaviours and just start ticking them off if, if you've experienced them. And I was watching these blokes and they were ticking them off and you see them getting really emotional, upset. And I was like, wow, this is blowing me away. And then he looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching. He said, well, you're supposed to be joining in. So I all right then. So got the list. Put a line straight through children because I didn't have children with my ex. And then I started looking at the other behaviours and... I was ticking every single one and I was recognizing what was written on there as stuff I'd experienced. And I just felt like the whole floor came out from under me and, and, and the bloke did, that was leading it, he went, you all right? And I went, no mate. And the minute all the other blokes walked out of the room, that was it. I, ju I just broke down completely because it was that moment 
I realised that I was a victim of domestic abuse from my ex-partner and I'd never even recognised it. Yeah, we've had, um, I can't remember his name, Paul, come on, who, who the struggle continues. And he has a, it's not, it's not domestic abuse, well it was, wasn't it, it was via his parents. CPTSD complex. Yeah, he had CPTSD, but he said he didn't realise how bad it was until he saw normal. Because he thought that what was going on within his house, household was absolutely a normal thing that went on in everyone's household around the country. And it wasn't mm -hmm. until he started going around everyone and saying, actually, I shouldn't be treated like that. And that's kind of a similar thing, isn't it? You, you stop. You st someone asks you to do a probably simple task. And then you re then that light bulb goes off in your head that, yeah. my God, this is what's happening to me. Yeah. Or this is what happened. But, that, but that's the massive thing about it, you know, in, and, and this is with a lot of victims, this isn't just specific to men, mm. you know, this is quite specific to a lot of the uh, lot of the victims and survivors that we've come into contact with, that they do feel this is something specific to me, this, this is only happening to me, this, this is normal, this, this, this is what's to be expected, and it's not until, you know, they see differently Maybe they come and have a conversation. They get into one of the different groups that are out there to be able to talk about it. Up and down the country, there's some amazing groups for engaging people and being able to open up. But it's got a lot to do with the way the questions asked. You know, we've, we've just addressed that when you talk about it, you know, a lot of people think violence. Why? Because for such a long time, we called it domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And it was only when it was really identified that it goes a lot deeper, that they change it to domestic abuse. But, you know, a lot of the questions that are asked when they're looking at statistics and things like that are, you know, has your partner ever done anything that made you consider phoning the police? Well, how many men do you know that were asked that question would say, oh, yeah, actually, because they don't. Mm -hmm. And even to your example, I phone up 999, what's happened? She's hiding my keys. This number is for emergencies. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't do that, would you? Yeah. Whereas if she's... Punch on the nose if she slashed your tires. That is what you consider a crime. But well, she's she's making me feel horrible at myself. She's making me feel like she's hiding her remote. She's saying I haven't got the newspaper, even though I've gone down and bought it. To say that out loud to nine 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 sounds madness in itself, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. That's it. And I think when you start doubting your own sanity and that old, when you don't like your job, well. Lee, you're lucky to have a job, or, well, you're lucky to have a wife, she does your washing, though, and, you know, she's there for you, and you're going, uh, well, yeah, you're, you're right, and, yeah, I do, look, I love her, you know, I'm lucky, I'm just being silly, and how many poor souls have had that conversation? Mm -hmm. Probably loads, mm -hmm. and I think the scary thing is that that's what victims do anyway, they, they don't just focus on those negatives, they hold on to those good moments. That, that hope that, you know, they're going to get those moments back. So when you've got other people then saying, but she, but she does that for you, she does that for you, she does that for you, you know, they say, yeah, yeah, maybe you're right, it's not as bad. Reinforcing it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, especially reinforcing those breadcrumbs that you are given over time. And then as that gets well, a longer period of time, those breadcrumbs get smaller and smaller and smaller and, smaller and spaced further and further and further apart. Well, Louise explained it to me, and once again, I, I love this show for mm. people like yourself. And she had an emotional abusive partner, and she had an, uh, an emotional abusive father. So she learned it from dad, and then found a, a husband who replaced the father. Mm. 
And she said, Kev, it was like a fix of drugs. Because it's nasty, nasty, nasty. But when they were nice, oh, you look lovely. It was like that that hit of drugs, that euphoria. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was lovely. Oh, oh thank you. for it. All the nastiness that he said was forgotten on that shoes look nice or yeah. thank you for dinner. Even though the other six days, the dinner is dog food. That one, you haven't burnt the toast, it's lovely. Made it all better. Yeah. And that's a true sign of a victim, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and once again, we think of, well, she, he has got it worse than me. And that doesn't make anyone feel better, does he? No. It doesn't matter if your neighbour, if your work colleague your, has got it, what you perceive as worse. If it's not healthy, then it's not good, is it? Exactly. No, we, we've, we've, we've changed our approach to how we talk to people, you know, on the basis of, of, of what we've experienced, on, on the basis of our own experiences and our own sort of what we've seen from people that we've maybe spoke to about things, things we've observed down at the pub, you know, that kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, the ribbon, if you're saying something's wrong that you might get. So we, we've kind of changed the whole way we go about it. And when we're trying to engage people and talk to them, talk to them about it now, you know, it, it's you get to know where whether the issues are sort of around um, relationships or family members. So we, we kind of pick up on that straight away because you usually find that people when they're talking to us will let a little bit go. Um, but we'll, we'll sort of move on from that and we'll say, look, okay, so we're talking about your partner here. Has your partner ever shown or... or done anything towards you that made you feel uncomfortable you know did you feel uncomfortable in any of those situations and if you did well let's talk about that because that little bit of uncomfortable when they start talking about it and you say do you know what mate that's abuse mm-hmm. well that 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 was just that was just the small stuff mate let me tell you about some of this other stuff mm-hmm. and it really opens up the whole conversation it's just that slight subtle change in the way that we're doing things mm-hmm. And that can be as simple as like a waitress comes over and serves you dinner, or waiter. I'm not, you know, what I mean, are you having an affair with her? And every person of that persuasion, a waitress, waiter, whatever, the suspicion all the time of making you out to be the bad person. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And I think a healthy relationship, be it a friendship, or a relationship, sexual intimacy, comes on trust, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think if you're constantly suspecting that someone is in the wrong, well, I, I was always taught, if normally if you're, if you're accusing someone of doing something, you're normally doing it yourself, you know what I mean? Or you're, you're putting your insecurities onto someone else. Do you agree with that, George? Yes, or? in terms of that uh, like projection, yeah. Um, because they are, or they have either started an affair with their boss at work or they've started say a new like relationship somewhere else with a friend of theirs a friend of their partners and they're looking for an out or at least some form of projection of guilt on them that they can put onto their partner to really put the nail in the coffin it's nice you use my example straight away it's your first example Mm -hmm. because i found out I, i was getting that um, constantly, you know, accused of cheating. If I was going out, who were you seeing? Um, but what actually transpired is after me and my partner separated, she was, she'd been seeing her boss for the whole time that we were together. Ugh. 
So it was that whole sort of projecting it onto me mm. um, when in fact she'd been doing it herself. But I, I think that is so often, is it? Like, don't be accused, don't, d don't deny something before you've been accused of it, it's an old thing. It's, uh, I'm a lovely person, I'm not a thief. You go, well, I haven't asked you if you're a thief, why have you brought that up? It's the same thing with like, with any kind of things. Well, um, you better not be, who you going out with? Tell me. And if you go, well, I trust you. Hmm. If you go out, I love you. So and I, I believe that you're coming home to me. And, you know, love is both ways. But if you're constantly saying, well, who are you seeing? Oh, oh yeah, you're seeing him, checking on the Facebook, checking on text messages, checking on mm -hmm. social media. You're thinking, why are you paranoid? Is it through previous experience? And mm. you get to an age where we've all had lots of previous experiences, haven't we? That's part of life. Mm -hmm. And we've got to learn from it. But we can't judge the new partner on the last partner. Yeah. And sometimes that can be difficult, isn't it? Because you're burnt, you've got scars. You've. But we can't treat the new one like the last one because I'm not with the last one. Yeah. And this is a whole new day. Have you, is that advice that you give at your service or? It, it, it is, but it can be difficult because, yeah. you know, even a lot of people say it and, and, you know, I'll stand by this. I mean, we were having a conversation. I've been quite open with the guys that I work with that, you know, even now, you know, subconsciously something will get said or something will happen. And I go straight into my conditioned response from when I was in that relationship. Mm -hmm and then kick myself afterwards because actually I start to think, well, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, look at all the work I do now and all the st different stuff I'm doing. My wife is nothing that I'm with now. It's nothing but supportive. She, she encourages everything I do, but every now and again, mm -hmm. you know, it's just an automatic response. And, you know, you, these guys have said to me recently, just with some of the things that have gone on, they said, what are you beating yourself up about it for? You know, you need to just give yourself that chance to stop and realize, you know, you did that because of this and what's happened before. Mm. You know, she's not like that. And the more you tell yourself that, the more you believe that, the more chance you've got that these behaviours are going to change. But you've got to recognise what's going on and not beat yourself up over it. Because all you're doing if you beat yourself up over it is, is adding more guilt and shame mm -hmm. to what's already happened to you. Exactly. Self-reflection can be incredibly important like within the healing process of that because you are addressing that, all right, okay, I have this particular response when this happens, I want to check their phone, or I want to check their Facebook, or they need to give me their passwords to everything. That need of control, or seeking the need to control that situation, stems from that last relationship where they felt they weren't in control, and they needed to balance themselves out with that and to look inwards as to the reasons why you do that but also reflect you know how far you've come that you're not in that relationship anymore and the steps you've taken to look in with yourself and how well that's working and say and you're not in that relationship anymore this person isn't like your ex mm -hmm. this person has you know and basically just list all their good qualities oh they actually have a better job they've got healthy friendships they have a healthy work life balance their parents are absolutely lovely they're absolutely lovely no one's going to throw mashed potato at me at christmas all these different little things can really 
makes him to make fantastic progress. I think society has got plays a large part in this as well. Mm. And some of the things you you see in, in you know maybe in certain daily newspapers as a, as a prime example, because you know if you think about a let's just take a, a, a group of say female friends, you know if they're sat talking and they say one of them saying you know. My boyfriend checked my emails. He he was sending me loads of messages when I was going out. It's not acceptable. You, you you don't have to put up with that. However, we still use this story quite a lot now because there was there was a front page piece in one of the daily newspapers several years ago now uh, that was done in a jokey way, um, where a you had a couple and the, and the lad was going off on a lads' holiday at the end of a football season. They were going off to Ibiza. Um, and before he went, his partner gave him a t-shirt with a picture on the front of him and her with the words underneath, this boy, for, this boy is mine, I am much better than any of you girls out there in Ibiza, keep your hands off him. And what she was doing is every night she was phoning him every hour on a video call and making him show her that he was wearing that t-shirt and going round with the phone to show who was around him in the club. And that was seen as hilarious. Mm -hmm. I actually remember seeing that myself, and uh, I've never, never thought about it in that light. But you're right. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just madness when you yeah. think about it, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. crazy. That I understand the T-shirt. That it's could funny. be a joke. Yeah. That could yeah. you could go at that. Okay, but then checking every night and phoning up. That's just... exactly. It's those extra things behind. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, because um, see. They're generally relying on that t-shirt being a joke amongst their mates. So mm. that, oh, okay, cool. In which case, they won't they won't see that I'm doing all of this behind well, the scenes. The teacher would have been um, that had been accepted by yeah. all your friends. Yeah, yeah. It'd have been a good laugh for the holiday, and it'd have been accepted. Mm -hmm. But you're right; it's then that step further that actually they're phoning up all night. And I hope the lads on that holiday then realise that as well. But that that that's the clever bit behind the sinister bit, though, isn't it? Like you know. Wearing a t-shirt, you know me, I'm soft as they come. I would have wore that t-shirt with pride going, ah, Kate's got me this. And been taking my pictures with everything. But then the sneaky, clever bit is it's acceptable. And said, oh, guys, you know, I've, I've got to keep getting pictures with this. And we'll show everyone. You know, it, you know, Kate wants me to play along with a joke. But really, the clever bit is she's not playing on the joke. She's playing on the situation. Exactly. And that's where, you know... It, that's where the, the clever, naughty, sadistic side comes out, isn't he? Exactly, because she's relying on, um, so that, well, especially later in the evening, they'll be, they'll be more and more intoxicated, mm -hmm. and it'll be even funnier, and it'll be funnier than the last time, and funnier mm -hmm. than the last time, and it won't sort of dawn on them until they're later in the holiday. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if there was some way of getting in touch with those that were involved to find out, actually, that really would did look at it in that sense. Well, you know what, how it, many times it took to for them to be like, all right, okay, this is this yeah, isn't funny now. Enough. This this is a lot. It, it wouldn't surprise me if the, if they went through that whole holiday and didn't realise that, and mm. it, it'd be one of those mm. kind of like kind of like me when you've just said that. It was a light bulb burning to my head because I never thought of it like that. Mm. But you know, and they've, they've come five years down the line, and maybe he's been her off, and then they've gone, bloody hell, she really was controlling and. Mm. Or oh, that one guy at the party you don't want to play. For goodness sake, we're on our holiday. Just put your phone down. And then you tell your missus. And then she turns you against him. Because that's what we do in that situation. Divide and conquer. Because the perpetrator don't want to, don't want anyone to make sense. 
because they're ruining the control over you. And how many times has that been? Abusive relationships. You know what, Lee? So and so, she's doing this. You go home, you tell her, and then next thing you know, you're not talking to me. It's, it's, it's not just about power and control in abusive relationships. One of the biggest tactics that's used is isolation. Mm -hmm. They'll isolate you over time to anyone potentially who may say anything against them. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that time and time again, haven't we? You know, like uh, family, like, like yeah. close friends, um, say parents, the lot. And it's become a very oh no it's you and me now babe it's you and me it's you and me against the world and that oh, I hate that phrase oh me too <laughs> and it's just it just sort of well every time we sort of hear it within that dynamic it just makes our hearts sink because it's just sort of oh okay that's that, that's the level it's got to and it may take years to rebuild those relationships with those people especially parents or anything like that because of what was said what's happened and the horrible things that their partners have accused them of as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a um, TV series currently on called Angela Black on ITV, and, they, and it's, a, it's a bit about domestic abuse in there. Mm. But um, they, they showed that really well, actually, uh, last week's show. I'd recommend everyone actually taking a look at that. Um, it's a really good show, and it does go into that side of how they can, they can isolate move you away from your friends and and it's almost like you don't realize it's happening mm -hmm. you know and then before you know it you are you are solely reliant on that one person yeah. and i don't mean reliant in the in the fact reliant in the friendship of that one person well exactly you got. i say well exactly it could reach to a point where you no longer have any career aspirations because oh well no she says we're going to do this now or you know mm -hmm. she you know she wants to say do whatever and I've got to stay and look after the kids or I've got to stay in the home because I don't make enough because I'm useless and my parents were right about me my friends were right about me and that's when it can really start to build I think I've heard time and time again with uh, domestic abuse is who else would want you you know what I mean and that's saying from all sexes or anything well oh, yes. and they're, they're, they're beating you up mentally to a pulp mm -hmm. and once again we were saying well she ain't all bad you know I'm, she, oh, she does this for me and well it, and if i if i do stand for myself who else is gonna want me you know i'm i'm so and so aged now i've put mm -hmm. timber on or i haven't got i haven't achieved what i wanted to achieve and i'd have to move back in with mum and dad or i'd have to go yep. and stay on lee's couch and who's gonna want that i've got kids i've got how about me cat how about me hamster and and it's that. I mean, how would you address that when you when you're talking on your on your tours? Well, it, it varies on a sort of a, ba a base by base situation. Mm -hmm. We've we've had the question asked a few times around that, and you know, one of the things that we we talk a lot about and we'll, we'll say to people about is, you know, over a period of times, how many days in a row are you going to be told you're useless, you're stupid, you, you, you're a waste of space before you start believing that yourself? Mm. And that's what happened. That's that, that sort of the gaslighting effect, making you believe things that probably aren't real. But when you hear it over and over, you start to question it and you start to think, well, do you know what, if these things keep happening and, you know, is she saying, yeah, if I didn't do this, that wouldn't have happened? Mm. 
So, you know, a lot of this I could have prevented. Yeah. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Can I, can I also ask about, uh, obviously, there's, there's um, financial abuse that's thrown into there as well. So someone who's controlling, controlling the money um, that's coming into the house. And we know, we know from experience, again, from talking to other guests, that there is women's refuges around there that will, where you don't have to worry about that money side. You will have somewhere to stay if you do decide to leave. Now, from mine and Kev's knowledge, there's only one in the country that does that solely for men. I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure if you know of any more or if you can point people in the direction of anything that would help in that situation where you don't have any money, you don't, you can't, you know, you're, you're, you're rushing to get out of that house, you've finally decided to leave, mm. where do you go? Well, we do a lot of work, don't we, with, you know, we will help, help people apply for benefits and things mm -hmm. like that that they're entitled to, because um, we do sort of have a, a knowledge and understanding, but you can talk to the job centre, they'll tell you what you can apply for if you're at work, obviously you need to get a change of bank account, because nine times out of ten in situations where there's that financial abuse, the money's going into account that their partner controls. Mm -hmm. You know, we found in a lot of cases, it's very much, well, my partner sorted all the bills, so my money would go in, and if I needed anything, I'd have to ask for it. You're right with that. Well, yeah, it's a done thing, isn't it? I'm, I'm providing for the household. Do you get the money? Well, not always. Uh, yeah, I might get a tenner here or there, right? So you're going to work 40 hours a week and you get a tenner. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's all right? Well, well no. But the big problem is when they've got no finances and they're trying to flee, they can't go into private accommodation. Mm -hmm. And how many beds is it, are there solely for men in the UK in refuge accommodation? It's, it's only about 50 some beds. I was going to say, yeah. In the whole of the country, which when you look at the grand figure, mm -hmm. That's less than one percent of the beds in refuge space are available As I say, for men. Me, me and Kev, we're, we've been trying to find that figure, haven't we, for absolutely ages, or trying to get someone on a show who mm -hmm. does does it solely for men. Um, and until now, we couldn't get that figure, and we've been unsuccessful, haven't we? So also, most of those will be overflow. Yeah. So if there's overflow in, say, in women's refuges, then those beds are taken. And there's only 10 for, like specifically for gay men in the entire country. And what are you saying about the LGBTQ? I would say LGBTQIA, yes. Yeah. And that's a demographic that gets forgotten about as well, doesn't it? And as we said, I don't know if we said it on air, off air, a victim is a victim. Exactly. And do you want to go into like some of the statistics about that? I mean, because we were looking at Scott Stewart on talking about her journey about being transgender. And once again, I love this show because it opened up mm -hmm. our eyes to what, and then having uh, AIDS tests, you know, it, a bit of a jolly, as, as unjolly as it said, and then having a false positive and it haunted her for years. And because she had a false positive, but she was convinced all the other negatives were false negatives. Yeah. And uh, but uh, domestic abuse in that circle, it's the same, isn't it? Well, um, for example, between gay men, so to say, like myself, we're expected to, you know, duke it out, have a bit of fisticuffs, and everything be absolutely fine. Um, in uh, lesbian relationships, there's a lot more coercive, controlling behaviour. 
as well as amongst all the letters um, in terms of coercive controlling behaviour but also um, the threat of um, well, being forced to come out whether you are gay, lesbian, trans, intersex, queer, all of these different things, the effects on that individual can be astronomical, especially if they don't have a supportive workforce, they don't have a supportive family, they feel they can't go anywhere, or um, especially if they are trans or intersex, they're not fully understood by society. And there are a lot of things right now that are really impeding their ability to get hold of um, beta blockers and to get surgery and to have, say, what's the, what, gender affirming surgery and being able to have that help to live their true selves. And for them to be in a domestic abuse relationship because of the lack of relationship advice out there for us, because we sort of have to learn ourselves in the sort of afterglow of section 28. Um, What's that, sorry? So section 28 was a um, piece of legislation put forward by um, Tory Prime Minister um, Margaret Thatcher, which was basically a piece of legislation that said there is no promotion of homosexuality within schools because she believed it um, that we shouldn't have the inalienable, inalienable rights to be gay. Whereas, quite frankly, Mags, it's not a choice. Um, <laughs> she almost think it was like contagious. Well, think. That, 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 so, well it, that didn't help with the AIDS pandemic either because we're not taught about how to have safe sex or have safe sexual practices we would have to say perform our sexuality under dangerous conditions mm. um so not having full awareness or access to condoms mm. clinics aware being aware of stis and how they can be spread through anal sex and all of these different things and society demonizing us and for us to be deemed as filthy contagious and barely human sort of the afterglow of that and so even with like my sex my sex education that i had in early two it's like mid 2000s because i'm only 30 um even then even though there has been progress that's still just sort of like learning about women and mm -hmm. as a queer closeted kid that was the only goth and the only gay in the village uh kind of need more help than that guys you know well, it's it's i don't know what people are afraid of as well when they mm. when when there is definitely a certain age that you start teaching this you know you start teaching about all of it mm -hmm. not related to any one side you start teaching about it mm -hmm. but what are people afraid of with going into or, or parents afraid of should i say with someone going into a school and explaining all sides of that coin you exactly. know, it's not going to turn your son gay. It's not no. going to, you know, it, it's... Exactly. It's, All of the media that I have consumed growing up is entirely heterosexual. So, how has that made me gay? Mm. It's, it's just being able to understand the dynamics from an early age for that child can provide a safe space for them to get to know who they are. Mm. 
and that they can blossom into the happy, healthy person that they want to be. Because to me, you failed your child if you've kicked them out because you can't accept them for who they are. Or you that's, so that's when you fail as a parent. Because being able to understand that child, I mean, sure, it's, it's, you know, if, if your um, child is non-binary or genderqueer or transgender, that is a, the new thing that parents are really starting to struggle with. And, oh, no, they're too young to have their, um, they say, the beta blockers to stop them going through um, puberty in that sense. But they're reversible. That is, you know, they have the agency. They have the choice. They're not doing this to be trendy. This is, say, this is not a trend. They are going through this to save themselves and to save their lives. Because no one... So, like, I wouldn't actively choose... Like, if I had the choice when I was born to be straight or gay, or... Um, I'd choose straight. You'd because have a heat easier exactly, life, wouldn't you? Life would be significantly easier. And you'd, you know, you'd follow that path of, you know, get a job, get a wife, have the kids, retire, do all of that. Whereas going down the LGBTQIA path, a lot of people don't understand and or are fearful that, you know, with our rights now to adopt children, that we're going to make them gay as part of our agenda that does not exist. Sorry. Um, What's a massive recently as well, though, is, you know, the Domestic Abuse Commissioner. She, mm. she um, has petitioned to the government to ask for, I think it's something like 283 million to be made available to LGBTQIA services for domestic abuse because there is such a lack of service in the country. Well, you know, it's like one of them throwaway comments. Mm. Like, oh, I wish I was gay, so I could hit him if he played up. I can't hit the wife. And if you could, them throwaway comments don't help no one, do they? No, exactly. Because even having to develop those throwaway comments yourself, because mm. um, I used to have this, uh, oh, you know, why do you go for like effeminate men? It's like, oh, well, you know, if I was to approach, say, an effeminate bloke or, let's say, like, femme presenting person, I'm less likely to get a punch up in the neck sort of thing as a whole oh, ha, 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 ha. make them laugh they'll leave me alone yeah sort of thing because that seems to be a very common um queer response because we are very aware and we risk assess everything we're aware of who we can talk to where we can go what we can do what we can say all right okay that dynamic changes when you know we go to conservative relatives for christmas when we do this mm -hmm. how i act how i walk how i speak all of these different things come into play and when you do start living as your true self it's very much uh oh well you didn't do that before it's like well that wasn't me that's the veil i've had to use in my case first because i didn't come out till i was 19 and from knowing at 14 15 and trying to change that about myself and going through that turmoil as a teenager where oh i'm not going to find a partner no one's going to love me all these different things and those fears even though my family are amazing i am incredibly lucky in that sense because they all knew yeah but they gave me the space to work that out for myself which i'm grateful for um but not everybody has that because could i ask you a question you might yes. not the answer to you know it's seven uh is it 18 men 
complete suicide every day in the UK. Does the L does the LGBTQ come into that statistic? I wouldn't be surprised or, or, if they did. Or is it do they? And I don't mean any offence, but I hope you realise that. Or have they got their own like the, the gay men? Are they in the eighteen, or does a trans person fall into the eight? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, that does make sense, and I totally understand. Um, I personally believe um, that there will be LGBTQIA people within that statistic mm. because those people haven't been asked. This because especially if they have been forced into the heteronormative narrative mm. of oh I need to find a wife oh I need to start having kids yes. I need to do this I need to do that I'll go to the pub to escape to drink or yes, yes. whatever um, so I, I genuinely would not be surprised I think they do just break it down into to male and female when they yeah, make they their do. decision I think it's just very simply male female you know because yeah. Further research needs to be conducted yeah. for that, definitely. Yeah, I certainly think that when you're looking, you know, with suicide rates or attempted suicide rates, you know, there's, there's been some research done um, into domestic abuse um, victims who have attempted suicide. And I think from the, the research that was done, again, it was only broken down to, to male, female. Mm. And I think it's 11% of domestic abuse victims admitted to the fact they'd tried to commit suicide and I think it was seven percent female victims admitted to it but you know so much more could be done to break that down and look at you know is yeah. it within the LGBT community you know because we still don't know they might say 11 and seven percent for have, have tried it but how many have actually succeeded yeah. and, and, and again we don't actually know the true fact exactly the two figures. You, exactly who's been honest yeah. about that because when you're asked such an intrusive question even though it's not meant to be it is a fact-finding thing you know have you attempted mm. a lot of people may not want to comprehend that they that they were in that space or that that, that may have triggered them to remembering that they were in such a dark place and where they wanted to attempt and they may not want to address that and, it, and it's also that um within regards to being being domestic abuse in that situation you might not want to admit to be doing that again if you're a male how many males Mm -hmm. you might not realize that that's the case either that's bringing you bringing your mental health down to the point where you feel like you need to Mm -hmm. to do that or if your whole relationship is in the secrets in the closet and your your lover your partner is giving domestic abuse but you can't even admit you're in a relationship in the first place Mm -hmm. yeah the being closeted or like one of you being closeted adds a whole new kettle of fish to the arena um, because who are you going to tell well exactly well who are you going to tell but also who can you talk to yeah. because That's they're horrible. in a very prestigious you know um, place of work mm. that is you know very conservative very insular in that sort of way and you know he can't be seen with yes. same, same with the likes of us sort of thing yeah. and the effect that you can't actively love your partner and them being inhibited as well, but also the fact that they are abusing you because they are closeted and they are limiting who you are, mm. how you act, who you talk to, um, who you talk to about the actual relationship, all of these different things can really weigh you down. I imagine so. It's Once again, 
I've never even thought of that because I haven't had to. And that's yeah. why I enjoy this conversation because we've learned so much about these kind of bits and bobs, haven't we, bruv? Yeah, it's, again, it's, it's scary, really, that people have to go through this mm -hmm. turmoil. Um, anyone, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are in this yeah. world, anyone who has to go for any kind of turmoil that we're talking about. It's, exactly, because we know these people exist where we can talk to them, but it's finding them, yeah. and it's finding them in that safe space and where we can actually broach that topic. It's also them having the confidence in the people that are there to support them, mm -hmm. to be able to go to them and say, I need help. And I can imagine that's even even harder to do, because I, um, how long ago, probably two, maybe three years ago, I'll get confused with all this corona and having this time off, but <laughs> two, three years ago, I went to a counsellor and, and that counsellor won't tell you anything about their experience. Mm. Um, that that is just the way you know. That's the way it works, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know. Whereas, what what actually helped me was speaking about my experiences to Kev to the podcast to all that. That's what's really helped me um, overcome it and realise there's other people out there who have experienced the same things. And it, how do you do that when you're in that minority? Or you know, it's or it's already harder to to find people. It's hard enough to open up to people anyway. It's even harder because you're. It's a limited minority minority of people. Yeah, exactly. Plus, not everyone's in the space to sort of admit that that, that say that they are part of the LGBTQIA community. That is a lot of self discovery you have in yourself, because once you say it out loud, it's final sort of thing. Because it it had to be coaxed out of me. Um, Bless my mum. <laughs> so like coming out on the stairs and it's just sort of, oh, you know, yeah, I'm gay. And she's like, ah, you said it. And I'm like, oh, I have. Oh, I can't take that back now. I can't, I can't put a joke or a spin on that. And I'm, you know, I'm thankful for it because, you know, I love my life. But so what's in, well, especially in the sense that I can help others. Um, but so, yeah, acknowledging that you are also you've then got the smack in the face with a big boulder of potential issues am i going to find a partner is someone going to love me am i going to be able to do the job i want am i going to be able to fit to um, standards like within the gay community of you know you've got to be tall you've got to be skinny you've got to be young because i'm i've been, 13, no, good. I've been no good then <laughs> oh, no one wants me <laughs> you're like my wife anyway they make you phone me up <laughs> see because like within so that sort of culture of the lgbtqia sort of side of it i'm you know say so I'm, I'm what i'm as tall as i am broad and i'm 30 therefore i am legally dead legally, legally deceased so it's sort of like Oh, okay. Because that sort of the that also pressure of oh, you need to find a man by twenty five, or mm. you need to have this, and even if it's not healthy, you need to make it work. Which mm. again is a similar dynamic within the heteronormative sense, say between a man and a woman. It's like oh, biological clock is ticking. Or oh, yeah, yeah no, I, I I should really settle down and find a wife. And mm. they meet. But you you have yeah. more options. Yes. to find those people, I presume. Yes. I mean, we don't actually know that, do we, yeah, truly? But... LGBT, um, in terms of the worldwide population, are about 10%. And 
that's a very slim dating pool. <laughs> and then you've got to find the ones that like you back. And then you've got to find the ones that sort of like, oh, they want a family or are career-based. All these different factors, yeah. they make it very, yeah, very, very difficult. And something I'd like to ask, because I is the LGB mm-hmm. and what what does the Q could you explain it all to me please because yes, of course time, I, can. I, I hear a lot about it but I, mm-hmm. I'm never in a situation to ask the questions and what I love once again is not being that fit kid at the back of the class who was mm-hmm. too fond to put his hand up I think more we ask education is key to it isn't it to life in general damn right it's, it's, it's got to be said since we started doing this you know i thought i knew about domestic abuse and the dynamics of relationship but our team meetings we have when josh talks about the lgbtqia community my jaw was hitting the floor i've mm. learned so much that i didn't know and i work in that field so mm. you know we, we we welcome people asking questions all the time exactly so we're going to learn isn't it yeah. exactly knowledge is power um Corny, but very, very true. <laughs> so we have. It's not easy being juicy. Sometimes. <laughs> 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 oh, it really is. Um, so we have L for lesbian. Yeah. G for gay. B for bisexual. T for trans. Mm-hmm. Then we have. Because that's just making. You say it too fast. You've got to slow yeah. it down. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah. Q. Say so Q is for queer. Say well, queer or questioning. Don't worry, I'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I can identify... Basically, identifying as queer is not straight. So someone who hasn't fully figured out, you know, who they're attracted to, what they like, that sort of thing. Especially if they're like, right, okay, I don't... So as a bloke, okay, I don't like women, but I'm not sure I like men. Uh, Would I date anybody else in that community? Would I... Or is there any sort of way that I can you know, think about that? Or if I go on a few dates with people of, say, of, say, of all genders, all identities, yes. that can sort of help me understand who I am. Um, same, same with the questioning. Um, now, I in A, I is for intersex. Though that is for people who have been born with both sets of genitalia. Yes. Um, the old term for that, and I will only repeat this once because it's now used to slay hermaphrodite. We yeah. do not use that term anymore. Uh, so it is intersex. Um, so if they're saying it, pull them up on it. And um, A is for asexual, so people who do not have se- like yes, sexual, yes. Like, say, sexual attraction, they can still want a loving relationship. Mm. They just don't want the sex. Well, that's great because. I- I know people have learned from that mm-hmm. because with society, with racism, prejudice, having disabled children, people are naturally curious, mm-hmm. but we don't ask in case we offend. And I think that's mm-hmm. where we've le- lost the art of a conversation. Because mm-hmm. as human beings, and when I'm watching my, my daughter, she's so curious. And mm-hmm. as we grow up, we're thinking, well, could I, can I, should I, will I? Um, yeah. And then what we do is we assume and when I say assume, is wrong. I had um, a funny interaction when I was on holiday in Kos for my best friend's wedding. Mm. Um, her partner's brother's son came up to me and my boyfriend at the time and said, oh, so who's the woman? 
Very common question. Mm. Not going to lie. Um, it's when I said that to me and Kate. That's what <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sort of like... We get that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Awfully bold to assume you're my type. <laughs> <laughs> I might be dead in my community, but standards like standards. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I'm just thinking, ah, right, okay. I'm, I'm nipping this in the bud. You know, lovely kid, kneeled down to him and said, oh, you know, if you think of a relationship, uh, say, with a man and a woman as a knife and fork, obviously, he's the other, so, you know, you can, the object is to get the food in your mouth. That's fine. But what you also have is chopsticks that do the exact same thing. Mm. So which one's, which chopstick is the fork? Mm. And bless his heart, light bulb's gone off. Oh, yeah, cool. And then just went off. Just well, straight through. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought it was brilliant because um, his aunt came up to me and was like, what have, you, what have you said to him? So, like, oh no, I was just explaining this. And then she was sort of a bit like, eh. And mm. so I said, oh, you know, explain the chopstick analogy. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. Because there's a lot of fear mm. with potentially what we could do to children mm. in, that, so in that sense of like what sort of knowledge we're imparting or what things we can but again so knowledge is power in that sense that we are just letting you know that there are different types of relationships and you know knowing that you are safe within that yes and you know you can express yourself you can go on and achieve what you want just because you know you don't have to follow the constraints of you know I say well, like we had just heteronormative lifestyles not saying that like it's a choice um but you know that's not an option so well the only option is like you know you're born you're gonna see um have a wife have children then you die mm. that's not it you are able to pursue the career you want you are able to find a loving partner down the line you may even find love again after divorce or death or any other those situations that that say that do happen in life sadly especially um so like if, you know, I had a partner back in the AIDS pandemic, I say at my age, and then later finding, say, then later finding love, it's... You know. You've also got to remember, all that can change as well, can't mm. I think people think you can get stuck on the, uh, get on this path and with jobs, with one in that family, one in that, but actually it can change, you can move mm. over. Um, we was on about it, it's actually on Tuesday, we, we did a, a show... A podcast with Kev's dad um, about achieving your dreams and there's nothing wrong with you having that idea when you come out of school going along with it but then finding 10 years later this is not where I want to be mm -hmm. this is not what I want to be doing this is not where I want to be actually this is where I'll focus this is where I want to move to and go mm -hmm. to and it's about like, as you say it's like how many kids that want to be a rock star mm -hmm. or a football player and then they grow it and that, that's a dream, that's an ambition of but what I want for my child is happiness. Yeah. Happiness. Yes. And I would much rather my daughter be with a trans, uh, a woman. Uh, if it brought her happiness, uh, the, the thought of her being in a loveless, abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And I talk to the dads at the boxing club and they go, oh, you love your kid. And they go, oh, Kev, you worry about like like mad now but you control 
everything in her little life. She scrapes her leg, you kiss it better. And when, when she's out in the big wide world and she's having partners, and that's when the real worry happens. Yeah. And that's when, hopefully, we've, as parents, we've set that into motion of you, you see what love is. Love is kindness, love mm. is generosity, love isn't just, I'll buy you something so I can get away with this. And yes. Our greatest thing that we can give our children is love and education. Yeah. Asking a question without being cruel, having a laugh without making someone feel rubbish about it. Exactly, and being able to talk about the relationship that they're currently in mm. without feeling that you're going to completely bulldoze, say bulldoze in there. Mm. And like mess things up or take or get the wrong end of the stick because you know the, the worry that parents will not say not necessarily mess things up but mm. meddle is because it can also be another factor because that stress can make them just think oh you know the relationship's fine we'll skirt across that and then talk about another to- talk about another topic at the dinner table sort of thing and how many times you hear that mm. the partner is being a nasty partner in whatever sense mm. so dad or mom goes and goes oh you oh next time you do that and then the child takes the partner side and then that's playing into yep. the perpetrator's hands because then you don't see mom and dad otherwise you'll lose me and but not but accidentally doing it you've mm-hmm. played into their hands so yeah exactly you've seen exactly yeah you've been you say you've totally played into that isolation technique then Oh, you know, oh, I was right about your dad. Oh, I was right about your mum. Yeah. We and say then, to parents a lot, don't we? That it's just, yeah. they say, well, but what can I do? I can see it. I know it's going on. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got to do something about it. I can't just stand back. And we have to say to them, you know, it's not about just standing back. You've got to be there. Mm-hmm. You've got to be there, but not overstep the mark. Because if you overstep the mark, exactly what you're talking about is going to happen. It, it will cause that manipulation that's been there will cause that separation in that relationship and then whilst you are there that they can go to all of a sudden you're not anymore that's one less person Mm -hmm. when they come to you and they say this is happening please help me you are then there to to, to be able to do that and I think that's what we've got to do is we've got to take it and I thought I think it's in mental health and everything sometimes we're on the phone call like when my wife had my beautiful daughter the people on the maternity ward forgot it was our first child. They, they see a baby being born every 10 minutes. And it's, mm-hmm. oh, well, you're not the first one to have a baby. But they forgot. My wife's had a cesarean. I'm petrified. She's cutting off. We're petrified. We don't know what to do. First parents. Yeah, I have to say, on a suicide hotline. When you find up for a blood test. And it's, um, oh, well, the doctor will get back. But I'm petrified here, Bert. Mm-hmm. Just because you do it every day. I'm frightened. Yeah. So... Every time someone addresses you with domestic abuse or a blood test or a back, realise just because you're used to it, they're not. To exactly. treat them with the same compassion you'd like. You never know what's going on for other people, do you? You could, you could, you can pass. You probably do. You, you know, any one of us in this room, anybody listening, will probably pass at least at a minimum five, ten people a day that are suffering domestic abuse and wouldn't mm-hmm. know. You just don't know, and it's it's about having that bit of understanding that you don't know what's going on in somebody else's world and you know when you do see someone that maybe you know doesn't look quite the same as they usually do to you Mm -hmm. you know not being afraid to say you know how are you yeah i'm all right no 
How are you really? You, you don't look the same as you usually are. Is everything all right? Do you want to talk to me? So, there I am. I've clocked you. I've asked you the question and you've told me. What is my next port of call? What would you say to me? So, I've, I've said, Lee, are you okay? I'm all right, Kev. No, Lee. And you confess that you're in a loveless relationship and it's happened like this. What would you tell me is the third party to do? It varies from it really would vary from situation to situation. But one of the things, one of the first things I'd say is, what do you want to do? Mm. You know, if you have that option, you know, take away any of these constraints you've talked about. I haven't got money. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. I won't see my children. Mm. What do you want? Because for some people, it's you know, I, I want things to work in the relationship. Do you think that's going to happen? You know, do you think some of these things that they're doing to you is acceptable? Mm. Because actually, you know, it's, it's abusive. Would things be better for you? Would things be better for your children if there wasn't that constant element there? Because, you know, a lot of, one of the things we hear an awful lot from victims of domestic abuse is, but, you know, all of this never happens when my children are around. Mm. I grew up in a home where there was domestic abuse and I knew about it. Mm. I may not see it, but I knew about it because yeah. you see the after effects, you feel that tension that's there. And sometimes it's being able to look at it and say, do you know what? It's going to be better for everybody all around if I step away. Think about those, those statistics we talked about on those people that have tried to commit suicide, those people that have committed suicide. Maybe if they'd stepped away, you know, things could have been different. Maybe if they'd had somebody just to talk to. Because we say in all sorts of walks of life, walks of life don't we, that you know, a problem shared that phrase is used quite a, quite a lot. When you're bottling things up, you know, inside your own mind, things are feeling pretty, pretty hard, pretty, there's no way forward, I'm stuck, nothing can change. When you start unloading a bit of that, suddenly it doesn't feel quite so bad. Just because you've opened up and you're talking to somebody about it. And what would you say to someone who does occasionally or constantly relapse onto the relationship? They go cold turkey and then keep going back. Well, um, we've had a few, well, I've had that a lot when I was working as a, say, advert, um, say, I say a bit further down from where I am, and we supported people that were still actively in that relationship and still living with that person because they have the autonomy and the agency to make that decision because I could give them all the facts, what's going to happen next, all of this till I was blue in the face, unless that person is willing to see what you are describing as abuse, as this isn't a healthy relationship, as this could potentially escalate to quite fatal means, they're not going to be there for you. Because we used to have several, um, so we used to have several service users that say that we're in that situation and they came into the service several times where we would, you know, update the um, risk assessment, support plan and say offer different solutions and they would be incredibly thankful because whatever, you know, everywhere else they've been, they've been told, oh, they need to get out, they need to get out. That is the most dangerous time. But I'm not saying that to scare people because as and when you do leave, there are things that can be done.
and you, it's just kind of like an addict, isn't it? You've got to, you can show them the door, but you can't push them through it because it's not going to be beneficial to anyone. You can show them there is options, there is there yeah. is ways out, but you're not going to force them out of that way. Exactly, it'll take them a while to realise that they could have, you know, a seven course meal rather than sustain themselves on breadcrumbs. Yeah, you've also got to think about the fact as well that you know there are people like us that worked in the field for a, a long time and have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge of what goes on. But you know what we've also got to remember is these people that are experiencing these relationships, they're the ones that are there, they're the ones that see it every day. So we might have all this knowledge and information, but exactly. they're the experts in that relationship. Exactly, we reinforce that completely yeah. because I've, so I've always said to mine, okay, tell me about them. You know them best. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Right, okay, I said, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Tell me to shut up as and when, but what happens when they get angry? What happens when this happens? Okay, um, an incident recently happened where, say, there was, say, uh, say stab wound to the leg. What was the build-up to that? How did, how was, well, how were they at the start of the day? And just sort of start, you know, developing a picture because, well, because of their ability to risk assess, they will know them best and they will know every tweak in eyelid, every tone change, um, as, you know, as, well, they, basically to the point where they can see them boiling their fist under the table. It's simple as a look, can't it? There's a certain oh, look yes, that people talk about when, that when they see that look from their partner, they're like, okay, I know what's going to happen now. And that, yeah. that, that real fear kicks in because they don't know when it's going to happen, but they know it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and that can be as bad as it actually happening, can't yeah. it? Waiting mm -hmm. for the yeah. And sometimes waiting. it never does. Mm. But they know that they've got that control because yeah. they've put that fear there in place. So that fear and that build-up is a, as also part of the um, controlling and coercive behaviour because I know if I do the look or these certain things you will retract into yourself and you will basically do as I say but nobody else can see it exactly well guys I mean, we're almost at the end of the show now I mean it's amazing how far we've come obviously we've still got so far to go mm -hmm. what big things do you hope will come out I'll ask you firstly what what big things do you hope will be happening you know will yeah, just as simple as that. What, what do you think will happen or hope happen? We, you know, we, we, we do a lot of things like this now where we'll come out and we'll talk and we'll be quite open about things that are going on because, you know, we want people to see that, do you know what, this is happening, this is normal, you know. It shouldn't be a normal as in, you know, this is just a normal thing that goes on in society, but it is. People that are in these situations quite often think, yeah, we're alone, we've got no one to go to, but you're not. There are people there. It's starting to be recognised more. You know, obviously we're getting a bit of traction what we're doing with the book coming out as well and the web website and all the people that we're getting involved in, but things are starting to move. There's even talk now that next year, you know, the Domestic Abuse Commissioner is looking at how, how much more money needs to be invested into mail services. So, men, we are going to get some more services, so we're told which yes. is going to be great there's going to be more resources there but just because you don't think there's anything there for you don't be afraid to look i'll give you two straight away now mankind initiative 
they have a resource of all the services right across the UK that hold mail services. There's our website, Break the Silence UK. You know, people can get in touch with us and they do get in touch with us to ask if we know of anything within their area. Mm -hmm. And we will we'll direct people. If we don't know ourselves, we will go to Mankind and we will ask the question. There is always someone there that you can reach out to. And the Black Country Women's Aid, they're doing wonderful work as well. Fantastic. And you, and you Josh? Being able to create safe spaces, say, for any victim, um, I'd love to see an increase in refuse provision, especially, say, well, if anything, say male, of course, because there's hardly anything, but also in female, because, uh, say, having worked in a female service, I know that they are struggling as well, and say, they need funding. We're not asking for a slice of that funding pie. We're just saying that, you know, we're looking for proportionate funding for all services so we can actively provide support and actually reduce um, people coming back to these services where they can actually lead, lead um, fulfilling lives. Because you know there's women's refuge, yes. as we've just talked, there isn't many men's refuge, but how about trans refuge, does that exist or is that just something that isn't even... That depends. Um, Again, that is minimal upon minimal um, because, for example, a um, trans woman, because of refuge um, policy and all of this, they cannot um, have any space. Well, yeah, that's wonderful. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we're all right. very almost at the end of the show. So very quickly, we've just got time. Has anyone got a very quick quote or saying that has helped you get through life? Go on, spell one out. Um, crikey, I can't think of one off the top of my head now. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's probably loads, but I can't yeah. think of any. Well, all, all I'm going to say, because we're very, very short, be kind, be honest. If you can't do either... Don't say nothing. Don't say anything at all. <laughs> so, guys, thank you for listening as always. Always find us on YouTube or on our podcast. Take care of yourselves and each other. Torah repeat. <laughs>